Dear friends, greetings again on a Lafer TV channel, and this is Creative Society Global Talk on Education. Today we have a very interesting speaker. We are communicating today with Mr. John Glassy. Let me introduce you our guest today. John Glassy, Chief Executive Officer and founder of Brains Global, responsible for setting up the two sister brands dedicated to promoting innovation in education, African Brains and Arab Brains. Organizer of the leading ministerial summits for ICT innovation in education in Africa and the Middle East. Founder of the Global Online Learning Alliance established in 2020 in response to school closures. Former Managing Director of the Development Program Group responsible for attracting investment and trade partnerships in post-conflict regions. Founder of the World Sustainable Energy Fair in the Netherlands, the first ever conglomeration of all renewable energy technologies. John majored in economics and is currently completing a second degree in astronomy. John, welcome on a lot for TV. Thank you very much, Constantine. Good day to you and good day to your audience as well. Thank you for joining us today and we it, it is a pleasure for us to communicate with you. It's like a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, sir. Like I mentioned at the beginning, this is a project Creative Society, Global Talk on Education. And I would say for those who are watching us for the first time of what is the Creative Society and how we understand it in the international public movement collateral. So the Creative Society is a society where the life of every person is the main value. This is a society when people and where people are manifesting their best human qualities for the benefit of the whole society. This is the society where each person cares about the society and the society cares about each person. So welcome again on Alatra TV and we begin. John, let me ask you the first question. How do you personally envision the creative society where you, your loved ones, your family members, and all other people would feel comfortably and happily? Please share with us. Okay. Uh, thank you, Constantine. Uh, firstly, I'd like to say, you know, congratulations and the good work you're doing and the, uh, the background you've done interviewing so many people in establishing creative society. I don't know how qualified I am to uh, answer. What you open with is quite a philosophical question as well. Um, maybe if it's pointing to a utopian vision, I don't know how much a utopian society would really work. Uh, uh, variety is the spice of life, so it's good to have uh, people with many differences. What I would say, apart from the obvious things about creativity, such as emotional intuition, I would say in terms of what I would envision, uh, especially in the context of education, is what we're talking about today, is in young people, is to arouse curiosity. And whatever their interest may be, uh, you know, there's, for example, there's been a great deal of emphasis on STEM education, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. But not all people want to be mathematicians or engineers. Uh, they may have uh, artistic or sporting or other interests. And uh, so in terms of how I envisage in the educational context is not necessarily the, the direction of people uh, in any one way, in any vertical interest, but rather 
to just arouse their curiosity, let them find their own interests, let the young people find uh, what excites them the most, and, and then arouse the curiosity, and above all, make them question every single thing they are told, particularly in this modern day of social media, a lot of misinformation or misleading information. And every time uh, they hear something, a young person uh, to say, really, is that right? Let me check. And that's part of uh, arousing that curiosity. And if they question every time, it, and that's also part of the scientific method to question in such a manner, if they do so, uh, that curiosity will blossom into creativity. And that's how I'd envisage it. That's very interesting. You've mentioned the word curiosity. And, you know, um, there is a question that just flashed in my mind. So correct me if I'm wrong or add. Uh, so um, if we are speaking about arousing, uh, arousing curiosity in kids' minds, then in this sense we are talking about the culture of self-improvement which should be in exactly, education yes. starting from the schools going on to the college level university level and then also in the profession when and, and lifelong learning as well why yeah. not you even introduced me at the beginning of saying doing a second degree in astronomy it's a hobby of mine I'm nearly there. I finish it next year. It's taken me however many years doing a distance learning. I cannot highlight enough the, uh, the maybe importance is a wrong word, but certainly the satisfaction of lifelong learning, especially when you get a little bit older. You've got to keep the, the, the gray matter working, keep the brain cells working. And I, I would envisage, uh, from an educational point of view, the self-improvement, absolutely. And from mm -hmm. young, right to the very end, self-improvement doesn't Do you stop. believe personally that future education, um, and I would like to say in the creative society, should be developing uh, within the framework of lifelong learning together with uh, self-improvement, both personally, professionally, uh, expanding your knowledge in various fields, uh, from your point of view, how would it or should it uh, develop now? Because right now we have a lot of challenges in education. Do you believe that might be one of the ways the future education should be development, developing? I mean, repeat, I will repeat myself in the framework of self-improvement and life learning. Yeah, I, in that framework, I think that's one of the component parts of self-improvement. Uh, but education is a complex beast and there are many demands, uh, uh, you know, and, and the experience of education is different for all different young people. They, some will get more out of it than others and one cannot be too prescriptive. But also there are demands, families, parents, the, the achievement of grades, uh, the complexities of the profession itself, I, as I say, I wouldn't be too prescriptive, but in the framework, I would, I would put self-improvement and curiosity, but they're just ingredients in a very, very complicated recipe. Yeah, true. That's interesting. Uh, John, you're organizing a very interesting uh, conferences and meetings for uh, the Minister of Education all over the globe. Uh, please share with us what is discussed right now 
among the ministers of education all over the world, what are the challenges um, of okay. education which are on, in the list of you know top problems? Well, I have to. I really have to put that question in context, in the context of where we are today, in and particularly with COVID nineteen. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe just turning it the, the clock back a bit. Yes, I organise live meetings, uh, events. Uh, which are uh, meetings-based conferences with uh, from ministers to senior government officials, also engaging with industry, bearing in mind a lot of talk of uh, ICT for education, digital transformation, all of that technology, the proprietary knowledge is in the hands of the private sector. So one has to ha have that in, uh, stronger engagement between government and industry. And that's very much what we try and uh, do as as well as uh, having the opportunity for the, for the governments to deal. I suppose one of the big challenges that we've seen over the last few years is uh, youth unemployment. So in uh, parts of Africa, parts of the Middle East, even parts of Southern Europe, very high levels of youth unemployment. So there's a lot of uh, questions being asked about how the education system we see reforms in curricula, countries like Kenya, like Zimbabwe, Ghana, where they've uh, introduced competency-based curriculum because they want them to have the skills that are appropriate for uh, vocation, for real life. Even in some governments like Madagascar, for example, they even have a ministry for technical vocational education and training. And so those have been, there's quite a lot of political uh, issues surrounding unemployment of course young people unemployment so there's a there's a real political push to find ways to solve youth unemployment and having the skills but one has to be careful what skills one develops in education relative to the society you have around you so if you are developing technical skills let's say like the german model and you develop a load of high class engineers and automotive engineers but you don't have an automotive industry those skills are not good. They're not going to be employable. So on the one hand, you have to develop skills within the education system that are appropriate to the economy and the country that you're working in. But also, on the other hand, the second important pillar of developing those skills is to have ambition. So the country political leadership will have an ambition in a certain direction. It might be ICTs. If we talk about developing countries, uh, you mentioned Africa or Latin America, where they will look to leapfrog the secondary industries. Nobody's going to compete with China in steel making or textiles. So you have to leapfrog to tertiary and, uh, industries. And that requires uh, uh, an ambition of the government into investing in certain technologies. But if you are in, say, ICTs and those new digital technologies, you have to have a substantial education background you can't know about digital yeah. technologies without being taught the skills so uh the challenges uh, sorry i have diverted a bit but i have to answer the challenges that have now come about of that have, we've seen more apparent because of covid19 the, the complexity of the situation the school closures we now have challenges of implementing more blended learning because mm -hmm. the, there's an increased demand of online learning. Now, those countries that have online or blended learning policies, they've been designed for still being taking place in the school. 
Now we're doing this online learning at home. This has now put a burden on the parents. Parents aren't trained teachers, but they're being asked to supervise uh, the, the children, especially younger children who need full-time exactly, supervision. Yeah. And then you have the challenges of the investment we've noticed. So Zoom video is great here today, but I've done many of these meetings and the ICT infrastructure around the world has been truly exposed. It's not as good as everybody thought it was and connectivity, need, it needs huge investment. And especially in rural and remote areas, we are in a big danger of a new digital divide if that investment and stronger partnership between government and the telecoms operators is not made. That's a real priority. But then you talk about all of this change and also another change I'll refer to that a lot of people are talking about now is a switch from summative to formative assess assessment from those high stakes, high pressure end of year exams where it's really about retaining information over a short period of time It's a snapshot as opposed to a form of assessment, which is continuous throughout the, the semesters, throughout the, the, the course of, of a student. But then all of this requires investment. It requires new uh, teacher training, continuous professional development at a time when the world is facing, the governments are facing huge debt burden, a, a loss in tax receipts and uh, the question now, will education budgets be ring-fenced accordingly? So I mean, we, we've had these uh, run-up of the unexpected COVID-19. We've had a run-up of, of challenges relating to developing skills, competencies, uh, improving learning outcomes, and making sure that uh, there are methodologies to challenge youth unemployment. And now COVID-19 has come along and exposed even more issues. Will it be a catalyst for change? Uh, we're still in the midst of it, but let's see. Sure, sure. Uh, John, I would like to ask you, um, there will be like two questions uh, at the same time. Uh, you're a founder of the Global Online Learning Alliance. Um, can you please tell us more what this organization does and what are the goals? Yeah, and I will admit it was a, an immediate response to uh, the pandemic uh, as an organization, as I, as I mentioned, we organize live face-to-face -face meetings. They're not going to happen in 2020. I don't even know how 2021 is going to look. Uh, none of us do. Uh, and particularly as I organize international meetings, uh, the state of the travel and airline industry, we're, we're still... Uh, it's still a watching brief. Uh, so, but all of that said, over the last couple of decades, the huge networks we have uh, in, in government and industry, we wanted to keep everybody connected and uh, talking to each other, but also um, the, the subject matter itself, education, learning must never stop. So exactly. we, we have to bring everybody together in that regard. It's, and I have partners, Millennium Edu is an NGO in Portugal, uh, Catalyst, which is from Canada to Hungary, uh, who are uh, uh, an organization looking at catalyzing change in education. Radix is another partner in Mexico to bring in Latin American participants. We all come together to, uh, as the Global Online Learning Alliance, to have private government meetings uh, in, uh, in video conference format, but they're not webinars. We do have introductions. So last meeting we had was devoted to 
Policy and Finance, Andrea Schleicher, uh, the Director of the Directorate for uh, 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 Education at the OECD, Education and Skills at the OECD, uh, made an opening statement along with Bob Hawkins, who's a senior education specialist at the World Bank. And then what we do if we've got all these government officials from Latin America right across uh, uh, probably as far as uh, the, the Indian Ocean, uh, across the, the time zone affects people's participants. Uh, so they all, what we do with them after the opening statements, they break into private uh, meetings, usually about five or six people in a group from different countries. So they can discuss the modalities that they are having to implement, for example, the modalities of reopening schools, or what are they doing about safeguarding learners online? Or what are they doing about accelerating recovery using blended learning in the response to COVID-19? What are we doing about the uh, recovery for learning loss that has happened during this period? So all of, that's what the Global Online Learning Alliance is about. Uh, we have uh, another meeting in August, which is mainly dedicated to uh, Will it truly be? Will this everybody's talking about change, but will it truly be a catalyst for change, or will it be business as usual when things yeah, we'll, we'll uh, calm down? We don't know for sure. And then in, uh, we'll we'll have a bit of a rest towards the end of August, and then September multiple meetings every week, uh, which mm. you'll be invited to. Thank you, right? Well, indeed, you know, um, I'm an educationist myself, and I'm truly thinking uh, this organization is. And you personally are doing a fantastic job. You're helping people from around the world come together, exchange opinions, exchange views, look for a decision of how much. I'd even go as far. What we, yeah. what we try and do in every meeting is we actually try and make, please, as you as a participant, make policy recommendations. In yeah. the private groups that we put together, we, we say it's a form of Chatham House rules, an electronic Chatham House. We produce a report afterwards. We have to record the meetings, but when we transcribe those record, recordings, we delete them afterwards. When we transcribe those recordings and turn them into a final report, disseminate the information of what people have said, we don't make any uh, single quotation attributable to one person. So they can feel, these are government officials from minister to deputy minister to secretary general, director generals within the ministries of education and within universities and other civil society organizations and intergovernmental organizations, multilateral agencies like UNESCO, World Bank, Islamic Development Bank. We say you're, you can talk freely, you say what you like, make, but make That's policy important. recommendations. But when we do the final synthesis, we don't attribute it, but we want policy recommendations. And I've seen some really interesting policy recommendations come out of these meetings, particularly the big conundrum governments are facing is assessment right now. That's interesting. That's fantastic, especially when you have an opportunity as an official to speak freely, to say openly and without being afraid that this gonna be used later against you <laughs> but it's gonna make the news yeah yeah i have actually been it's a great thing you're saying um uh we must not forget when we talk about these education policies mustn't forget the end user the kids the students mm -hmm. um one of our uh, good people quite a well-known uh, uh uh chap called stephen heppel 
who's the uh, Philip Segovia Chair at the University of Madrid. Uh, he's a well-experienced educator. He said, on our next one, which we're going to have in September, the, the, the wide one on ICT for education and digital literacy, he said what we should do is get some of the students involved, get some of the learners yeah. to participate. I think he even went as far as saying maybe we could promote it on TikTok, and I'm not so sure about that. Uh, but uh, he said if you actually got, got the kids having their comments on ICT for education, then uh, it would probably make the news. So I don't know yet, but we must that forget that they are the end users. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, John, we began already talking about um, distant learning, and uh, your your organization is also involved in that. Uh, can you share with us your understanding and your opinion of what are the advantages and disadvantages of distant learning right now, especially taking into account that we have faced the COVID situation, also blended learning? What would be the advantages and disadvantages of distance learning from your point of view? Well, the advantages are of distance learning is anytime, anywhere, obviously. But it comes with quite a few caveats. There are some problems. Uh, the number one problem right now is uh, the ICT infrastructure. It's not as strong as it should be. Access, connectivity, especially outside of uh, urban areas and developing parts of the world is just not up to standard. And this is bad because it will lead to a digital divide, uh, even worse than before. It, it, you will have uh, wealthier families who, who have the opportunity to be connected. And it's unfortunate, by the way, I have to, I have a, a uh, a bone to pick it's always been a problem that i've had is uh, in fact the cost of internet connection the cost of data mm -hmm. is more expensive in tanzania than it is here in the uk the poorest parts of the world are paying the highest rates for connectivity and, and this is a real problem that needs to be dealt with um distance learning actually it does have advice. I actually put it more <clears throat> in a context of lifelong learning. Now, there also may be a place in higher education. We've heard some universities uh, being concerned about uh, lectures and tutorials taking place next year, and some may not have those full program of lectures, and they'll do much more distance learning. Now, universities compared to secondary and, and primary education are usually better connected. They'll have learning management systems and they'll be part of a, a national research and education network connected to the fiber network. So, uh, but many students will be asking, okay, well, do I need 40, 50,000 grand's worth of debt when I can to go into campus, when I can do it on distance learning? But so that's on the higher education level. Um, uh, and then lifelong learning, distance learning definitely has, has great potential. But the, the infrastructure has to be invested in more and much more uh, coordination needs to be done to better deliver connectivity. And, and I'd even go as far as saying that Wi-Fi should be a mm -hmm. fundamental human right. I'd go that far. The, but do not mistake distance learning for the education, particularly primary and secondary uh, years. Bearing in mind, the school is critical. 
absolutely. The, the, the structure of the school day, the pastoral care that it offers, the fact that your kids go to school and you can go to work, the many parts of the world that the kids go to school, that's their main meal of the day as well. Yes, and every exactly. teacher will tell you the same thing, why they get into teaching. They get into teaching because of the interaction with young people. And exactly. education is a social event. It's an interactive event. Online lessons, virtual lessons, you can't just take the information you have in a classroom, digitize it and put it online. That is not delivering a lesson and it does, and it does not have the social, uh, the interaction between teacher and student. There's a real pedagogical issue there. So blended learning, which is now a necessity that's coming out of uh, uh, school closures, prolonged school closures as a result of COVID-19, a great deal more work needs to be done on how on the pedagogy and the safeguarding of students online and the much more involvement of parents and families and communities. You know, I was going to ask you already a question that you began answering already partially. Um, do you believe uh, that once uh, distant learning and uh, technologies will substitute teachers at school? Or, no, I don't. No. First of all, the straight no. Human interaction. Straight, okay, straight no. Okay, straight because, no. We the teach everything. The, the, the technologies are another tool. Mm -hmm. Just a tool. Just like your what was in your satchel at school when you went to school constantly. Just like your pen and paper. They're just another tool. That, that's important. Teachers. That social interaction need, is first of all. It's yeah. more than the social action. You need teachers. You need mentors. We all have teachers we remember well from that, that may have said encouraging things to us when we were young i know i have a couple i do remember uh and i'm sure you do everybody does you it, the, the teacher is at the center and i've had greater investment in the quality of teachers especially in developing parts of the world and the quality of pre-service qualification uh and uh continuous professional development is essential the the technology are tools but tools that can really make a difference. Uh, online uh, distance learning, online learning in the up to the age of 16, 18 years old for, for all of that period is supplementary, maybe necessitated by school closures, but it is supplementary to the heart of the structure of the school days. And it's not bearing, bearing in mind, it's not for the kids, it's not just the interaction with the teacher. It's the interaction with each other, it's the social interactions. They, yeah. They learn from the, the peers as part of it's part of growing up. It's absolutely essential. Let me ask you also a question about the teachers. What do you think um, their social uh, security be like? How they should be protected by the society so they could manifest, uh, show their best human and professional qualities to the kids? To the society to help them develop uh, the most they can. What should be the social security of teachers so they could, you know, show and implement in life their creativity, their professionalism, uh, still have time to develop also professionally, personally? Yeah, well, not forgetting that for a teacher, the workplace is the school and the, the, uh, the good environment the good upkeep of the school is essential uh the good 
uh, leadership of the school was really important uh, and and the equipping of the school the appropriate so the teachers have the appropriate tools at their fingertips to deliver on uh, depends which part of the world you're in and many teachers will have all of that ready but uh, as you know I <clears throat> deal in many developing parts of the world where that simply doesn't exist that the schools need uh, more investment and more equipping so um, that that I see as it's the workplace of the teacher and they just want that to be right so that's where additional investment needs to go into uh, John, uh, let me ask you the next question, um, and I hope in this question I'm not criticizing too much uh, any education in the world, but still, uh, right now in the world we have so many types of conflicts between people, racial conflicts, economic conflicts, military conflicts, religious conflicts, you name it. Um, from your point of view, if we have so many types of conflicts, do you believe uh, that maybe the school is not doing its job right and not doing everything so we could live i would say in the creative society where there is no such a word even in the dictionary as a conflict wow you need a world-class philosopher uh, not me um <laughs> okay I'll, I'll give my two penneth worth really on this conflict human conflict goes back since and maybe what's the origin of the conflict the Why? the origin of the conflict is maybe were chimpanzees i i don't know if we you know that's our evolution as you know we we battle over land we battle over water we battle over resources we are tribalistic you know there are all these elements of that are uh, conflict is, is so widespread it is a shame uh, that we as developing as human beings that we have made freedom of choice a fundamental part to it. I, I referred, and I was being a bit facetious to referring to our, our animalistic tendencies. Uh, you know, we've, we've developed as, as uh, humans to, to have free choice and know that we shouldn't uh, be, we shouldn't opt for conflict, but somewhere it's still within our DNA. We haven't shaken it off completely, obviously. And uh, I, I suppose, you know, we, we do feel that we should have a civilized enough society not to have conflict, but you, in your introduction, refer to so many causes uh, of conflict. Can the, I think the education system as best it can does a good job. You know, it's not, it's not the kids that are causing the conflict, is mm -hmm. it? Uh, I think the problems start when you, maybe when you leave school. <laughs> I see. And um, continue the, the dialogue about the conflicts. Maybe, um, well, what I've noticed, for example, studying in different countries and different places, in schools and universities, I've noticed that in some schools and colleges, um, Teachers are training their uh, students to be competitive, business-like, you know, to fight for the result, to be the leader. Maybe we should change the philosophy instead of competition into cooperation. And then in this sense, if we start cooperating more with each other rather than competing for something, maybe then 
the society will change and we, we will get rid of conflict. Um, actually, I disagree with the premise of the question, Constantine. I think um, uh, uh, both are good. Competition uh, and cooperation. I don't think it's an either or question. Uh, we, we take a team sport, for example. It is competitive and cooperative at the same time. Maybe you could single out some schools, focus more on competition and the grades and the sporting performance and all of that. I don't think it's the question. I think the real question is honesty. Mm -hmm. If you're honest, and maybe if this is your answer, what we should try, be trying to encourage more in school is, is, a, is an encouragement of truth and honesty. If you're honest, it doesn't matter whether you're honest in competition or you're honest in cooperation, you're going to be fine. But if you lie, it doesn't matter whether it's competition or cooperation, it's a bad thing either way. If I cooperate with you, but I'm lying behind the scenes, what good is that? And maybe it's those, that's the real, I, I suppose, if you go back to my education, the only, well, not the only, the, probably the one poem that had uh, more impact than any other on me was uh, John Keats' Ode on a Grecian Urn, in which uh, the final two lines are, beauty is truth, truth is uh, truth, beauty, that is all ye know on earth and all ye need to know. And uh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think if eh, you, you try going through life without telling a lie, even a little smart, tiny one, it's very difficult, very, very difficult. Uh, and if we encourage more honesty, and competition or cooperation doesn't matter. They, they are complementary to each other. And maybe that's what you're looking for in your overall uh, question, Constantine, is uh, a greater honesty and truth will reduce conflict in the future. I totally agree with you. You know why? Because um, uh, yesterday we had a live conversation with uh, one of the school principals from India, and she said that the dialogue between a teacher and a student and also between parents should be hot h-o-t honest open two ways that's important you know okay i like that honesty. if you're going to ask me a question about parenting then that's probably the answer as well okay <laughs> honesty that's important john um please tell us how do you envision the education let's say in 10 to 15 to 10 10, from 10 to 20 years, how do you envision future education? How would it change? What would it be like? I, I, yeah, that's a really good question. And uh, I was almost going to refer to it, the answer to this question on the distance learning one, because you, you've reminded me now. Firstly, I'd like to see a substantial improvement in primary education, uh, mm -hmm. the very young age, uh, the, the, the standards have plenty of scope for improvement. The biggest change could be in higher education. It's really interesting. Now, I can't remember the names. I'm sure you'll dig them out as a couple of futurists. I don't know what a futurist is. It's a great job title, but I've heard a futurist say it wasn't so long ago that uh, within the next decade, half of all universities will disappear. Now, Yes, that was the article uh, in, uh, I believe, in one of the, either Cambridge or Oxford University published it. Um, yeah, I can't remember. I, I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Look I up. read the article. I, I think I there's a futurist, but I think there's another professor who, who espouses this viewpoint. 
look, I think it's a little bit far-fetched. If you take the UK, for example, um, there's, uh, I think, 165 universities. Now, we heard a, a report from the Institute of Fiscal Studies that maybe 13 of these universities are a bit under threat at the moment because of the, the reduction in overseas students or reduction in funding from that. I did hear somebody in one of our meetings say, yeah, I thought this quote that half of universities are going to disappear in 10 years is a bit far-fetched, but he said, maybe with this COVID-19, um, well, the, the percentage might be too high, but we can, we, I think we're going to see a structural change in the tertiary education sector mm -hmm. and distance learning will apply to it as well. Uh, you know, I, I talk about doing a, a degree in astronomy and I do it through uh, UCLan, University of Central Lancashire up in northern England. It's distance learning. It is the only distance learning astronomy degree in the world. And I think this is crazy. I think it's bonkers that universities, in my view, are going to need to take a long, hard look in the mirror. Why are they not offering more? of the course and not just we've had the open university for years but i'm talking about campus-based whether you're oxford or cambridge or other universities they're going to are they being a bit elitist by just saying no you can only be part of our universities if you get three or four a grade a levels and you come on campus and 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 we're not going to offer our courses in, in distance learning format is there an elitism there that could be could damage them in the long term? I think university education, that's where we're going to see the biggest changes. And especially as I referred to earlier, young people and young people's uh, uh, mindsets are changing, especially the, the thought of large debt coming out. You know, there's, there's people who are well into their 30s now who are still paying off the student loans. Yeah. And uh, there's every chance there'll be a shift in social attitudes towards that. You know, what's often repeated, what parents will repeat to the 16, 17, 18 year olds right now is, if you get a degree, the, the statistics show you that your income over life will be 30, 40% higher. And, you know, there are degrees that are, that are necessary. You can't become a doctor without doing a medicine degree. But there are many jobs in the world. I don't know how much I've got an economics degree. I don't know how much I've actually used economics in my 30 years of career. And uh, there are, I think, yeah, I think there'll be a generational shift. And many young people ask, well, why can't I do this degree distance learning? Why, why, why do I have to go to a campus and build up this huge debt? And also uh, universities, as I say, they do need to offer more out. Why can't they offer more uh, of their courses online if they don't? I, as I say, I think the futurist prediction is a bit far-fetched, but I do think uh, some will fall in the next 10, 20 years. Well, even well-known universities will fall. I see. Um... John, um, I have a few questions left, but before I will ask these questions, uh, we have a tradition to ask our speakers uh, to recommend at least one or two people with whom we can continue the conversation about the creative society and education, future education in the creative society. 
can you please recommend us, um, say, two people we can contact and continue this conversation? Okay. Well, I haven't checked with anybody. Uh, two people I could, uh, there's quite a few I could ask. Uh, I have a lot of relationships with government and industry and education, so I don't want to be showing any preference. Um, so I'm going to pick, first is the Minister of Education for Ghana, the Honourable Matthew Opoku Prempe. Uh, he's been minister for the last four years. Uh, there is general elections in Ghana, I think, in December this year, so they'll begin the campaign trail. But all of the targets that the minister set at the beginning of his term, what they wanted to achieve. They've just started the uh, Ghana Learning Outcomes Program as well. Uh, they've been met those targets and the minister has uh, a strong presence and a strong reputation. And, uh, and also we held, uh, I guess a personal interest, we held our meeting Innovation Africa, the 2019 version in Accra, and uh, the first week in December hosted by the minister himself, as well as the Minister of Communications. Uh, she was part of it, and that was uh, opened by the President of Ghana. But I recommend Matthew Opoke Prempe, the Minister of Ghana. The second person uh, is not from government. I'd recommend from Cambridge, part of the whole Cambridge University infrastructure. Uh, but Cambridge, as you know, has many interests in assessment, English, it's university press. Yes and uh, is working very hard on uh, reform uh, and, and school leadership, teacher development. And I'd recommend uh, the managing director, Jane Mann, who's a real uh, evangelist for the... I think you'd love to have her on the Creative Society, Constantine, because uh, she'll say some... She'll say far smarter things than I will. <laughs> you did brilliant. <laughs> Just please, yes, you did. You did fantastic. I'm really enjoying this conversation, okay. uh, John. Um, it's not like a question, but more proposal. Um, there will be watching. I absolutely sure lots of lots of people. Uh, what kind of message would you like to say to these people about education? and creative society. What would you like to tell them? Or what kind of message you would like to send to the world? Is this, is this like a closing message now? Almost. Okay, almost, right. Do you know, <laughs> I'm going to bring something up here, Constantine, because you did provide uh, some insight before about some questions. And I, it was relating to your conflict question. And I think, uh, although you haven't answered it specifically, what one thing would you, would you get rid of? Uh, to, and I've got a simple answer to that, and it's guns. I just don't understand it. I don't understand why there are so many guns in the world. Is it really necessary? And why nothing's done? And we see, uh, and especially in the States, for example, we see these terrible school shootings, which are appalling incidences. And then there's a big outpouring of, uh, uh, of sympathy. The politicians make their statements, but then nothing's done. And then it happens again. Why do we have so many guns? Uh, so that's, that's my first message. Can we just do, or can we stop making ammunition or something like that? It's just, it's completely unnecessary. Um, 
So sorry, the, the bigger question you want to ask me is, is how would I encourage a creative society? I go back to my issue of arousing everybody's curiosity. Thank you, John, that's fantastic. I mean, that, that, that's really fantastic. I mean, and, from uh, the bottom of my heart, thank you. Yeah, well, I'd that's say, and, and, and I'll go back again to honesty. Honesty makes a world of difference. If, 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 if the truth and, and, and being honest with yourself and all the people around you, and yeah, we're human beings, we're very smart, we're very good at reading each other's faces, we're very good at body language. Yeah. You might have somebody lying to you, and you might not be able to tell they're lying, but you, you sort of you feel it. something You're wasn't right. It. There's a little, something didn't add up in their face. And that's a destroyer of relationships. That's the, the cause of mistrust and the cause, that cause of mistrust and it's, it's a cause of conflict. But if, if we could share our honesty and just be straight with each other, and sometimes the truth does, it, it, it can hurt. Sometimes the truth can be a little bit painful. But if we could share uh, a higher level of honesty uh, with each other, then I think your creative society that you're driving there, Constantine, will be um, will will blossom and flourish more. Thank you very much, John. You know, I was going to finish almost, but when you were making a conclusion, uh, one more question sure. just flashed in my mind. You said that. I would rephrase it, of course, not direct speech, but um, you said that uh, people are smiling, let's say, in the same language. And we're reading the, you know, the emotions. Uh, facial expressions, yeah. Facial expressions of people in the same way. I mean, when the person is lying, of course, obviously, you can see that, you can feel that because, you know, these are things which are uniting people, like smile, mm. honesty. From your point of view, my question, from your point of view, what else unites people all over the world? Hmm. Uh, sport is a good unifier. I'm, um, I'm from, uh, uh, I was originally born in Belfast, so I'm from Northern Ireland and uh, as we know, what we euphemistically call the troubles and northern ireland had a lot of problems it it's pointed to uh the the, the catholic and protestant conflict but it's it, it's more it, it's deeper than that and uh the uh, peace agreement uh, uh has done a good job so far but it's interesting really interesting that uh maybe you don't know this so in sport it's very strange because in the UK, for some reason, we're, the UK is one country, but we're allowed four football teams, England, Scotland, Wales and Northern Ireland. Mm -hmm. But in rugby, uh, there is only uh, one Irish, football, uh, Irish rugby team, and it is both the North and the South. So they're two different countries making one country's sporting team, and it, it's very unifying. There was also an Irish boxer called uh, uh, Barry McGuigan. He was very popular and he brought a lot of people together during a, a time when there was more trouble. So uh, I, I think those kind of 
and that you talk about competition and cooperation team sports there you go uh, i think that's that's one way that that people certainly come together um i suppose a lot of people might answer the question in bringing people together it, maybe better leveraging our connectivity now and our social media i i just throw back the question has has social media do, do 700 million subscribers to facebook bring people mm -hmm. together any more than they were before i'm not sure about that thank you gentlemen uh to be very sincere with us thank you very much i truly enjoyed this Conversation, indeed. Good stuff. Good. Uh, dear friends, um, if you'd like to know more about uh, the Project Creative Society, we're uh, inviting you to visit our website, which is called alatraunites.com. On this website, uh, there is a button called Join Us, uh, and there is another window opens where you can fill out a very short form in one of the languages you feel comfortable and send us the message and we will contact you. Uh, for now, that is all questions I was going to ask our today's speaker, John Glassy. John, thank you very much uh, for today's live conversation. And you know what? I truly think that I want to ask you much more questions. <laughs> so if you don't All mind, right. uh, if okay. you don't mind, I will sometime ask you to give us one more or two more interviews so we could communicate more. I believe, you know, what I've heard and then what I've learned today is important. Okay. Well, we could ask questions. We could have a discussion about science. I know you wanted to touch on that today, but we haven't discussed science and technologies. Uh, sure. It's certainly close to my heart, and I, I could I could talk in in good context. If you wish. Thank you very much. Thank you, dear friends. That is all for today. Thank you for watching us. Thank you uh, for uh, sharing videos because I know you've been sharing during the interview uh, in your social media and networks. Uh, see you next time. Today we had a live conversation with John Glassy. John. Thank you very much again. Be in touch. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.